Welcome to the world of culture pop with Steve Mason and Sue Kalinsky. Culture, comedy, movies, TV, tech, authors, trends, pop, pop. This is the Culture Pop Podcast. Hey, everybody! Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Kalinsky. Sue, you look great today. How you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good for an early morning start. Yeah, well, an early morning slot never our favorite to record, but I'm excited about today. Our guest is a Los Angeles legend. He has gone from a life of crime and addiction to a life in the acting business. He's co-starred in films like Heat, Anaconda, Con Air, From Dust Till Dawn, and so many more. Now he's written a brand new book where he talks about his time as a criminal, his struggle with addiction, his recovery, and ultimately his climbing the ladder in Hollywood. The book is called Trail, My Life of Crime, Redemption, and Hollywood. And Danny Trejo joins us right now. Danny, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. So your book, and both of us have read it, is is so honest and so real and so gritty and ultimately is a story of redemption. Did you have any hesitation when it came to telling these stories to the world? Yeah, a lot. A lot. I didn't at first. I wrote it. I wrote it and then... Uh, and then I gave it to uh, Maeve, my my kid's mom, who we haven't been together in thirty years, twenty. Well, God. Anyway, we've been we've been together for. I'm trying to think of Daddy Boy, almost thirty eight years. Wow. You know? And but but we split up twenty five years ago, you know, and and she remarried, had two kids, both with autism, and uh, and uh, me and my crew ended up raising her two kids with autism simply because uh, I was trying to put her through law school and, and, uh, and she, you know, if you have an autistic kid, that's your job. You can't do nothing else. And she had two of them. So, and I always got a, uh, I always got a group around me, you know, I mean, I'm takes five people to run my life. So, so, uh, (laughs) and uh, I gave it to her to read after me and Donald Logan finished. And she said, Danny, you know, you sound like, you're a typical guy that got in trouble and and got better and says, you know, what about your mom? What about your dad? What about? And I said, well, that's their story. She said, Danny, why do you think you've been married four times? Why do you think you've had children with two women you weren't married to? Why do you think you know you don't can't trust anybody? And 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 it's like she un covered a scab that had been there for years, hmm. you know, and she goes, she's the only person I've ever really, I, I, what do you call it? Uh, not identified, but the only person I really kind of confided in. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and so then me and Donald went, me and Donald went back and we started writing again about my mom and things that my dad, was, my dad was, he was, he's a beautiful man, but you know, he did the way he was taught. And that's the way my grandfather taught. It was all about strength. It was all about, you know, hard work. And nobody said work smart. You know, it was just, and, uh, and so, so, and everybody like in my family was, you know, the construction, tough and drank. And, uh, and so it's the only one that was really more like me was my uncle Gilbert, who was the youngest of 11. So, Grandma and grandpa were kind of fed up with kids, you know, so we, me and him were like inseparable. 
he just happened to be a drug addict and an armed robber, you know, and, uh, and, and that's the path that I took. So when I was writing these stories, I said, well, that's not my story. Yes, it is. You know, my dad, you know, grabbed me by the throat in the middle of the night and threatening to kill me. That's, that was like, that was like really personal, but to, to, it, it, I had, how do you say it? Like a purge, a purge. What's a purge? Yeah. Yeah. No, you cleared it out for yourself. And, yeah, and so, so that was, and then when we finally finished, you know, when we finished this book, I was exhausted. I was exhausted. I'd never, and, and I'm in, I'm in the program of, of a 12 step program. Yes. And I've done inventory after inventory after inventory, and I've stayed clean and sober. But none of them touched on that stuff. All of them touched on how this is how I felt today. This is what I did today. This is the amends I have to make today, you know. And <clears throat> so I was really, I, 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 there was a, after we were done with the book, I think I felt a freedom that, that I've never felt, you know, that I just like, okay, now. Because we're only as sick as our secrets, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so I, I have no secrets. I have none. I do so, and I'm I'm glad. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine how cathartic it must have been. I want to know, like, how did you hook up with with Donald Logue? To how did you choose him to 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 uh, collaborate with? I met Donald Logue at the Hollywood Rec Center. Hollywood, uh, what was it? Not Rec. Uh, it was a, a late night meeting at the Hollywood Center that that used to hold AA and NA meetings. Mm-hmm. And I walked in, and and I, I was probably the angry person I ever knew. You know what I mean? And I say, "Hey, what's up?" And he was literally like, "What do you mean, what's up?" You know, he was like, "Just he was." I said, "Wow, man, this guy is so angry." And it wasn't like you know some guys are angry because they're so tough that nobody can say anything. This guy wasn't that tough, but he was probably one of the most angriest people I've ever met. And I met insane angry people. (laughs) 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 I met people so angry, they didn't know they were angry. And it was like, I just looked at him and I said, all right, cool. And and then we just kind of left it right there. Then now, 30 years later, I was doing a movie called... uh, Reindeer games up in Canada. Yeah, yeah. And they had Vin Diesel up there, and uh, and Vin Diesel he wasn't right for this part. You know, I mean, he just wasn't right for this part, and he knew it. And and he had a chance to do this other little movie called The Fast and the Furious. And and uh, <laughs> he was talking to me, and he said, "Man, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm doing this for a favor, man." And and I said, "Well, get the hell out of here, man. You know, this doesn't matter." And he said, "Well, I don't want to. I mean, you haven't been on camera, Diesel, so it doesn't matter. But if you're going to go, go before you get on camera." And then he goes, "Yeah, yeah." And so. That morning, he called up and said, hey, I'm not making it, blah, 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 blah. So, whoop, Donald Lowe came in. That's when I met Donald. And he was going through some heavy things with his wife, you know. And uh, she had just had a baby. And he had to come up here to support him, you know. And she wanted him home. And and uh, I said, hey, you know what? I, I know she probably wants you home, but you better make some money to, to pay for that baby. And... Uh, and so we just became inseparable friends on that movie, you know. Yeah, yeah. 
So you had, and and you detail this in the book, you had a substance abuse problem for a long time. You've been clean and congratulations for over 50 years. Um, how how did you get sober? I was in a, well, see, the thing is, is I, I've, been, I've known about the program of AA since I was 15 years old. I accidentally, me and about 20 guys walked into an AA meeting. We thought it was a party and, uh, <laughs> I'm literally, I had a case of beer, three bottles of wine, half pint of whiskey. I was already loaded on pills. I had a 38 snub nose, and we busted into this meeting, and it's down the street. It's so funny. I haven't moved. It's like on Lev and Van Nuys Boulevard, right? And it was called the We Care Group. And so it's Friday night. Our neighborhood, there's all these cars in front of this house. We just kind of kicked in the door and saw this big sign that We Care, and People started talking to us, you know. It's like strange because when you crash a party, there's only two two things that can happen. Either they rush to the side of the room that you're on. That means they're willing to throw this party in your honor. Or they rush to the opposite side of the room. I mean, that they, they rush to the side of the room that you're on, and that means they're willing to throw the they did. They're not throwing this party in your honor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got the stupidest greeting in the world. All these people started say hi. I'm Bob. Hey, they were really just nice, you know. <laughs> so we we got out of there. But that was my introduction. This guy told me, Danny, why don't you put that stuff outside and join us? I think he already knew I had a problem, you know. And and uh, we talked for a minute. And I nah, yeah, we left. He said, if you leave, you're going to die, go insane, or go to jail. That was the curse of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's the curse of Narcotics Anonymous. Because once you get there, even by accident, it's just previews of coming attractions. You're supposed to be there. And, you know, it's so funny. I heard that that die, go insane for the next 10 years. Hmm. I heard it in, in San Quentin when... You, you hear Alcoholics Anonymous is now meeting in the Protestant chapel. They have in the Protestant chapel because the Catholics have a tough time with higher power. It's either Jesus or nobody. Right, so, right. High doesn't matter. So, But what I would hear is that die, go insane, or go to jail. Hmm. You know, so it's a curse. And I I always curse people. I say, hey, if you don't, yeah, you'll die, go and say to go to jail. Five years later, they'll go, you were right, man. You, you know. <clears throat> but that's so, I, so you, you know, you you spent, uh, what was it, maybe, what, uh, 10 years uh, in total in, in prison? And how when when I watch prison movies, I always wonder, like, how accurate are prison movies? You know, you're shaking your head just because, you know, I I know I know a few people that have been in prison and you hear stories. And and from what I've seen, you know, drugs are rampant. Um, Everybody seems to be, um, you know, the people that work there, the whole staff is 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 colluding. And and it seems like everybody is corrupt. Is that really the way it is in prison? No, no. You can corrupt people. You know, you can you have to. You spend every day finding ways and means to get more of whatever you're doing, you know, whether it's sex, whether it's drugs, whether it's booze. And there's only two kinds of people in prison. There's just a predator and prey. 
because you have to, you know, if, if I'm doing five years and this kid comes in who's doing two, three years and people are after him, especially because he's got money. So you're either going to use him for sex or you, well, we had a protection ring. We would, hey, look, we'll protect you, keep you out of trouble. <clears throat> Inside is protection. Outside is it's extortion. Yeah. You know what I mean? Out here, it's extortion. But inside, we'll keep you from getting killed or getting raped if you pay us money. So we had people sending my mom money, you know, and, and, and we would take care of them. And that way, that's how we made our living. You know, you, you have to be a, yeah, in, in, intuitive or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so how did you get your big acting break and, and how did it come about? I always say everything, everything good that has happened to me has happened as a direct result of helping someone else. Hmm. I was working with this kid. I was a drug counselor. One of the kids I was working with was doing this uh, thing as an extra, as an extra. Right. And he was making the extra 50 bucks. I was hanging out with him. And, uh, and uh, the people, the guy that we worked with would send us, hey, here, go to this movie, go to that movie. And uh, the, I didn't go to this one. He called me up one night and said, hey, Danny, I'm on this film, man. It's like crazy drugs down here. Uh, you know, uh, cocaine is right. 1985, mm. cocaine on movie sets was just insane. You know, and so I went down to hang out with him. And the first uh, 10 minutes, I read, I, they asked me, could I, do you want to be in this film? And I says, yeah, what do I got to do? He says, can you, uh, you want to be an extra? I said, extra what? He says, can you act like a convict? And I said, uh, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so I took off my shirt, you know, because they give me a blue shirt. I had that big tattoo on my chest. I'm, you know, that, that sombrero lady. And, and this guy comes running over and says, hey, Danny Trejo. And I go, I looked at him and said, Eddie Bunker. And I knew this guy. You know, yeah. He, Danny, I saw you win the lightweight and the welterweight title up in San Quentin. I says, yeah. He says, are you still boxing? I go, no, I, I'm 40 years old. I'm just acting like a convict. And, uh, and we laughed because that's what we've been doing for free all our lives. And Eddie said, uh, well, I adapted the screenplay. No idea what that meant, but it sounded important. And, uh, <laughs> and he said, uh, you know what? We need somebody to train one of the actors how to box. Hmm. And I said, what's it pay? And he says, 320 a day. When he said that, I, I how bad you want this guy beat up? No, I thought, right. Come on, 320. I wasn't making that a week. And he says, 320 a day. I said, how bad you want this guy beat up? And said, no, 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 no. You got to be careful, then. You can't. It's, it's, you know, you can't hit him, blah, blah. And I said, for three, three twenty a day, because he said this guy might sock you. He's already socked a couple of people. I said, Eddie, for three twenty a day, you can give him a stick. Are you crazy? I've been beat up for free, man. He says, uh, I started training an actor named Eric Roberts how to box. Yeah, yeah. 
And, and Eric Brown wow. in 19, cool. 1985 was kind of a loose cannon. He was a, he was a movie star. You know? Yes. Mm-hmm. Movie stars are dicks. They're just, you know, they're, <laughs> they can really be a handful. You know? And Andre Kozlowski, the director, saw me handling Eric. And Eric kind of would do whatever I said because he liked, he wanted to learn how to fight and he liked the tattoo and, and, uh, we, you know, Andre just fell in love with me. Andre says, you fight Eric, you be in movie. And then he kisses me on both cheeks, right? And walks <laughs> like Russian aristocrat, right? I, I told Eddie, look, Eddie, I'm going to train the kid for the three, 320, but, but if I got to kiss that old man, I want more money. And he's like, <laughs> European, he's European, you know? And, and he was very quiet. Andre, Andre talks to you like if he's praying, he'll always go, and you be my friend, you know, in my movie. You know? And, uh, and me and him became just unbelievable friends. In fact, for his 75th, for the 20th anniversary of Runaway Train, he took me back. We went back to Russia. You know, and oh, I wow. talk, you know, so uh, it was like, it was, he's just been a good, good friend of mine. So you did one of my favorite movies of all time. You were in Heat, uh, directed by uh, Michael Mann. You worked with Robert De Niro in that movie. Now, I've, I've talked to other actors who work with Michael Mann, and the one thing they say is he's very detail-oriented, right? Crazy. You know, Michael Mann, uh, I was uh, downtown, and I'd go, I went and said hello to my safe guy. I, back in the day, I had the safe guy. I went in there, and I, I was talking to him, you know, and uh, and uh, and uh, the the wheelie round. There used to be a, a safe called a wheelie round door. It's the only safe that you could open with, like you know, how when they they put a thesoscope and they go like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. right. And I said, "Can you still do these?" No, no, no. He said, "They fixed that. You can't do that anymore." Oh, is it? And then he said, "Do you know a uh, a Michael Mann? Uh, yeah, yeah, he's a director. He says, yeah, he was in here a couple months ago, checking out safes, and because that's how meticulous he is. He knows I mean, it's unbelievable. And and uh, I did a film with Michael Mann called the Camarena Drug Wars years before we did Heat, and I did this scene with uh, this one actor I forgot, but I scared him because Michael Mann said." Jump at him. You're angry. You're so pissed off, you know, because this guy's an idiot. And, and so I jumped at this, uh, this, and I said, hey, wait, wait, oh, what? Uh, and then he, he kind of lost, he said he lost his balance. And, uh, and so uh, Michael Mann said, hey, that was great. You know, that was great. And uh, treat Williams. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh and then years later when I went on the on the uh on the set of Heat, I actually went as a armed robbery consultant. Me and Eddie we were the armed robbery consultants. And Michael Mann saw me and said, Hey Gilbert, and I go, No, I'm Danny. And he goes, Oh yeah, Cameron. Oh, wow, you look so much like Gilbert. He did a movie called The Jericho Mile. Mm-hmm. And in mm-hmm. In uh, Folsom, he had the the African American and the uh, Caucasian guys coming out to work, but none of the Mexicans came out because 
they have a union. And, and, uh, and so uh, uh, Michael Mann had to talk to my uncle Gilbert and a couple of the other Mexicans that kind of ran, ran the, the crew, you know. So they talked. He made friends with my uncle Gilbert. And, mm. and so he asked me, hey, what happened to Gilbert? I said, well, Gilbert died. He OD'd. And when he came out of the joint, we talked. He said, well, come on. I was, that's how I got the part. That I got. He's come on and yeah, and uh, so that's my Michael Mann story. And I brought him a picture of Gilbert and and the crew and and Michael Mann knew. He goes, <clears throat> boy, I bet you the feds would love to get a hold of this. Yeah, <laughs> so I think he still keeps it in his office. I'm not sure. So one of the films you did, um, Blood In and Blood Out, you returned to uh, San Quentin, right? And you were basically at the prison cell that you were in. Yeah. What was that like going back well, there? Post-traumatic stress syndrome. Honestly, mm. God, that's what my, my, uh, my kid's mom said. How is she? Is she all right? Yeah. My puppy. <laughs> What's your matter? And uh, yeah, uh, uh, that was, <clears throat> we filmed in cell C545 to cell C550, and my cell was actually C550. Mm. And we would, every morning, me and a guy named George Perry, who who was my best friend, who I took with me as my assistant, who became an extra in that movie. And uh, the first time he went to San Quentin was 1935. Wow. And, and so it's funny, because you know, you'll see him in the movie, when he gets off the bus, they say, uh, you're supposed to say B nine four eight A seven six two one. He says nine nine seven one seven or something, right? And the and the the guard stopped. Him, what's your number? What's your letter? Hey, when I first got here, they didn't have letters. <laughs> <laughs> they took him straight to the San Quentin Museum, and he like talked about the old days in San Quentin. But that you see him when he gets off the bus, and uh, it was San Quentin. It was we used to pray every day in that cell in the morning. We sit down and say our prayers and thank you, Jesus, for letting us, you know, come back here. Yeah, a- yeah. Well, you know, I I know we're up against it, but I wanted to, uh, you know, Trejo's Tacos. I'm an enormous fan. Uh, your donut shop. I'm a complete donut junkie, so I've been there. Uh, you are. Uh, you are. Uh, just an iconic personality, really, in the history of life. People look at you and they're like, that Los Angeles. Um, and you're a huge Rams fan, and I'm a gigantic Rams fan. Last, last question, how do you think we're going to be with Matthew Stafford, no, a quarterback? I think we'll do great. I think because simply that he, he has he, – he will, he will take the five-year – you know, it's like uh, golf. If uh, Golf will try to – throw the 20-yard pass instead of just running the five yards to make the first down. Even if it was clear, he had a he had a more tendency to, wait, let's try to make the 20. And 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 Stafford, Stafford will run to t- make that five-yard first yep. down. You yes, know, he will. More a, he's more of a right now, you know, and uh, so I'm I I'm really, I'm really anxious to get to get this uh this started. I made him. I got Me a with him. He's great, great automatic one of those disarming personalities, yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, the book is called Trejo, My Life of Crime, Redemption, and Hollywood. And uh, Danny, thanks for it. Great meeting you. Thank Hopefully you. we can do this again. Thank you very much. 
Thank you so much. God bless you. Great guy. As we were just saying uh, for a minute there, we only had him for 25 minutes. And uh, I've got, you've got pages of notes. I've got pages of notes. He's an unbelievably fascinating guy. We didn't get to anything close to everything, but really, really cool. I, you know, his, his life is, he's probably one of the most inspiring people um, I've ever known. Yeah. I mean, you know, what he went through and, um, and what he made of himself. And it, it really is such a, a statement on you do something good, um, good things happen for you. Yeah. You know, because yeah. he worked, um, you know, he started rehab programs. He got so many people on the straight and narrow. Um, he was actually so influential in a lot of films because of that. And, um, and he's done everything. Yeah, he has. And, you know, I mean, and kids know him and love him. In his book, he tells this great story. He was with Robert Rodriguez, who I never realized is his cousin. Yeah, second cousin. Yeah. Second cousin. And uh, Robert Rodriguez had um, some sort of um, political event at his house, and Obama was there. Yeah. And um, Obama looked Danny Trejo and he said, Machete, you know, and he, and he just couldn't believe that, like, he knew him, you know, yeah, like he yeah. knew exactly who he was, you know, and, so cool. and, and I guess he had a conversation with, he didn't talk about what the conversation was about, but I would have loved to have been a fly in the wall there. Have you um, ever been to a Rams game? I have never gone and I want you to take me. Okay. So there's this thing that they do where they yell, whose house? And everybody yells, Ram's house. Whose house? Ram's house. So I actually got to do that once. But the ultimate guy to do it is Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo just brings the stadium down when he does that, when he yells, whose house? Um, He really is an iconic Angelino. Uh, When you see Danny Trejo, you think Los Angeles. Uh, Mm -hmm. So really cool to get him, even for a couple of minutes there. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, let's see a couple of things I wanted to get to here. First of all, you've got a wedding coming up and you've got to pick out a dress and to, where do we stand on all that business? Okay. So I tried the dress that I want to wear that I was hoping that I was going to lose weight for. And there's no way, no way, can, no chance. The zipper. I mean, it, it's just not going up. <laughs> you can't so, have it. Uh, you can't go to a tailor. Well, that's the next thing. So, um, Kathy Ladman, our comedian friend yes. came over the other day and, um, She's like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know if there's enough material on either side, you know. So she gave me the so she gave me the name of a tailor. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go and see the guy. So there's that. Um, but the thing is, you know, when it comes to this, is one of the biggest differences between men and women. Right. Like, not only the dress, but then the shoes, because dressy shoes are so uncomfortable. I can't right. tell you how many pairs of shoes I have thrown out. They they feel great in the store, and then. I get to the affair and within five minutes, I'm walking around barefoot carrying my shoes. And that is something you will never, ever see a man do at a wedding. <laughs> no, you I was actually just at, I was just with at a wedding shoes. and all the, all the women brought flats that they could switch into exactly. after the, the big part exactly. of the ceremony was like, no, you won't see guys do that. You won't see guys. Right. Do like you, you'll see him with his, you know, his tie loosened, but you'll never see him walking around with his shoes. With his barefoot. shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's where I'm at. All right. So, so Taylor going to a tailor. Yes. Um, so my housekeeper, mm-hmm. my, the lady who comes and cleans my house, I hate to use the word housekeeper. It makes me sound rich. I just have a lady who comes to the house once a week and cleans the house. 
Okay. Is that weird? Does it sound rich if I say housekeeper? It makes it sound like she's living over there and the housekeeper <laughs> in the casino. In, in, the, in the quarters <laughs> that you have for her? <laughs> in the housekeeper quarters. Anyway, she's, uh, she comes over and cleans the house. She just turned 50 years old. Do you know what she did? She went skydiving. Oh, my God. How about that? She went skydiving. Now, wow. have you ever been skydiving? No, and I never ever would. Oh, come on. Let's do no. it for the let's do it for the show. Let's do it for the show. For the show. Anything the for show. the show. Sue. I love you. I love yeah. the show. No. See, I've done it. I would I would I would sooner eat liver than than I don't than know. liver liver not, nothing wrong with some good good liver and onions. Ugh. So yeah, no, I so I've done it before. And uh I'm thinking about going to do it again. Uh how because- high were you? Uh, I was at 5,000 feet. It was a very low jump. It was not a high jump. Um, tandem? It was not tandem. It was uh, the the chute got pulled automatically as I jumped out of the plane. So the chute opened itself. Um, it was crazy. And I, I've told this story before, but I was high in a non-chemical way for like mm-hmm. three days. I was like, yeah. I jumped out of, I floated all the way down. I'm telling you, Sue, it would be great for the show. Great for the the show. The closest I've ever done, gone to doing something like that, I went parasailing once. Oh, that's cool. And you talk about, you know, being high, you know, just, you know, not, you know, in the literal sense. I don't even know how high it was, but it was, it was, it was pretty high. But the thing that was so amazing to me is being up in the sky it was so quiet. Yes. It was surreal. So now why wouldn't you want to recapture that? Because I was, atta- I was attached and I wasn't, you know, I was over water and I wasn't that high and I wasn't jumping out of a plane. I, you know, I'm not that adventurous. Yeah. I hate roller coasters. Do you really? Yeah. 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 And I'm not big on roller coasters, and- but I, I like a good rush. I like a good rush. And and skydiving is the ultimate rep. By the way, we're trying to do it on the on the show, on the on my other show. Uh, Mason Ireland, our producer Lindsay, and our board op Jorge. We're trying to set it up so that we can all do a jump together. Uh, but the Walt Disney Corporation is not too into it. They're not into it. No, they're not. <laughs> They are not well. Well, with it because they may lose four people. Yeah, you could lose an entire show. An entire show has just gone down. It's like Leonard Skinner, kind of. Yeah. So I wanted to play this. This is um, we we talked uh, to Danny Trejo there. Mm-hmm. They did a really cool music piece. Pete Davidson did on Saturday Night Live, um, and I wanted to play this. This sort of captures who Danny Trejo is and. Uh, and and his impact on the world. Here that is. It's JP on the track. Knox Beach made it. Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo. I'm in everything. Call me Danny Trejo. Handlebar mustache and like. Danny Trejo. My career gonna last just like. 
Danny Trejo. If there is no Trejo, then your movie is wacko. Like a sandwich with no mayo. Like gambling with no payload. Like a strip club with no ass low. Like a rabbit with no task though. So many credits overflowing like a bath ho. Spy Kids, one and two, and he's in 3D ho. Young and the Restless, episodes he did 15 ho. Heat, Con Air, Machete, and Desperado. Just a few flicks, I got up my arsenal. Breaking Bad, SOA, you know how it gonna go. Did a bunch of TV shows and Slayer music videos. I got my own tacos, that's right, my own tacos. They call Trejo's tacos, that's right, Trejo's tacos. Danny Trejo, Danny Trejo, I'm in everything, call me Danny Trejo, handlebar, mustache and like Danny Trejo, my career gon' last just like Danny Trejo Danny Trejo, be watching in Turks and Caicos Six shots like a desperado, dust till dawn on a runaway train, ho Triple X, that's Trejo, everything I name, just Trejo Hey Trejo, tell me the difference between any one of these days, though Cause I'm drunk, at brunch and lunch and breakfast Dinner on a Zoom, while I'm really playing Tetris Name some Trejo movies, badass scene it, ridiculous six I was on that bitch at the crib, Netflix Hair to cue more, had a Christmas I had my own split to smoke, did So Pete Davidson, that's very cool. Very cool tribute to uh, to Danny. Pete Davidson, I don't know what to make of Pete Davidson on SNL. I, I suspect he's leaving. But do you think he is a, is he a talented guy? Because some people, some people scoff at Pete Davidson. I think, I think maybe a lot of people are influenced by his, um, his personal life. Yes. You know, but I, I actually think he's, he is very talented. And especially during the pandemic when they were doing remote shows, yeah. he channeled into his music side and did a lot of rap. And he, I think he's, he is really talented. And I, I actually thought that he was really good in, um, King of Staten Island. I thought he did a great, great job in that. King of Staten Island. I didn't make it through. I started it. Didn't make it through. It seemed good. Mm-hmm. I sound like you. I started a movie. I didn't finish it. Started <laughs> yeah, about six months ago. Maybe I'll go and finish it up, you know, next month sometimes. Uh, but Staten Island is a place that you and I both lived in New York. You obviously lived there a lot longer. How much time did you spend on Staten Island? I've been there twice. Once because my brother had a friend that lived there. And the second time because... <laughs> It was at an accident. I friends of mine had come in from out of town, and I wanted to take them to the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, and we got on the wrong ferry. And, and so got, you went, we to, went Staten to Staten Island. Island. Oh, that's yeah. They funny. were there. They we were passing Staten Island, and my friends were like, uh, "Aren't we supposed to be going over there?" Yeah. So that's how I ended up there. So I spent most of my time in New York on the uh, in the borough of Manhattan. Actually, mm-hmm. virtually all of it in Manhattan. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember you getting in trouble once time because you said, oh, so that guy's really burrowy, which I always took to mean, well, he's not from Manhattan, so he's burrowy. Is that right? I think, it, I, I think it had something to do with girls in Queens. I think, you know, <laughs> like young girls in Queens. And I said they were very burrowy. And yeah, people, you know, people thought I was being, you know, I don't know. people Dismissive. Yeah, dismissive or insulting. And the thing is, is that it's it's so funny because the boroughs, you know, the way 
people talk is is very borough centric. People who live in Manhattan don't talk the way people talk in Queens. People who live in the Bronx don't talk like people who live in Brooklyn. It's just kind of you know. I guess it's 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 somewhat regional in a very right. very small area. Um, but you know, you talk about Staten Island. To me, Staten Island was always like the bastard of all of the boroughs. Right. You know, there were landfills there, and it just was so removed. I mean. All the other boroughs were Plus, very, you had to take, a, like, a boat there. Well, you had to take a ferry, and then they built a tram to get there. But it was just so removed. And I, I, I always kind of look at the boroughs kind of the way I, I look at the Three Stooges, you know? It's mm-hmm. like... <laughs> three because, Stooges. Okay. <laughs> because I'm because whenever, whenever, whenever Curly wasn't on and they had Joe Bess or a Shemp, it always was less lesser to me. I always yeah, was kind of yeah. like disappointed. So I always kind of looked at like Staten Island to me was kind of like Joe Besser, you know? And, uh, you know, I think, you know, the Manhattan was, was more Mo. Manhattan's and, Mo. So that's the leader. That's the leader. And um, Brooklyn, you know, was Larry. Yeah, Larry you know? seems right. That's sort of like the second tier of Manhattan. Right. It's becoming a big deal. Right. And, and Shem, you know, Shem, Shem could have been the Bronx, you know. Um, what about Queens? Queens. I, I, you know, he, he could have been Queens too, actually. He would probably yeah. have been more Queens than the yeah. Bronx because the Bronx was, you know, was, 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 was more tough. I mean, Mo could have been the Bronx. Right, right. Because he was tough. It was a, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It was more so, street. So if you've never been to New York City, you now have a pretty good tour guide in Sue Kalinsky who has walked you through the boroughs as if they were the Three Stooges. That's fantastic. It's fantastic. That's what people pay the big money for this show, Sue. That's why they pay the big money. And you know who pays most of it? Jacob. Jacob, exactly. My man Jacob Amrani is a proud sponsor of the world champion Los Angeles Lakers. And he's not just a guy you see on TV and you hear about on the radio, you see on billboards. You know what? Screw this script. I'm actually, I don't even need a script. All right. Jacob. I, I mean, I, I could be included in this too. You know, yeah, you know, Jacob do like little improv here. Jacob is a fantastic guy. Um, he is a big Lakers fan. He's he he's like his, he coaches his kids in soccer and basketball. He's just like regular guy, but regular guy with a particular set of skills, as uh, Liam Neeson would say. If you're involved in an accident, a car accident, a motorcycle accident, uh, Jacob is the guy you want. Um, he offers free consultations, and you don't pay Jacob a dime unless he wins your case. And by the way, uh, Los Angeles, out in Palm Springs, I was out there this weekend, billboards for Jake. Trust me, if you're in this situation, Jacob is the guy you want. You've heard me talk about him for a decade. He's a real person, a real attorney. He's my attorney. He should be your attorney to 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. 84424Jacob, or remember the catchy jingle, accident or injury. Call Jacob and Ronnie. Call Call Jacob. Jacob. 
All right, I like that. That was like a stick landing. Nailed it. That was like Simone Biles right there. Woohoo! Sticking the landing. <laughs> All right, there you have it. There is your Culture Pop podcast for today. Thanks very much for listening. We appreciate you guys. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button if you are on iTunes or you are on Spotify. Uh, leave a review, uh, rate the show. All that is very much appreciated. Sue, it's great seeing you. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's fun today. Danny Trejo, great guy. Uh, and we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast.